Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Well, listen, this morning we're actually going to continue the uh, series that we've been on about physical healing. So if you're taking notes this morning, this is part four. And as always, I would simply encourage you, if you've missed any part of this series, go check out our podcast. Because over the past few weeks, we have unpacked these things. I'll just mention them briefly and we'll run. Uh, The first one is this. We've we've unpacked some of the common misconceptions concerning healing. Secondly, we've talked about how both forgiveness and healing are part, part of God's plan of redemption. And number three, we have talked about how healing is the will of God for our lives. Now, before we dive into the main portion of today's message, I actually want to do something really different today. And so just kind of bear with me. Uh, as we've been teaching for the past couple of weeks, I've had people come and ask me questions. And, uh, and I simply want to honor that. And I just want to answer them. And so I want to answer basically, I think it's three questions. And then we're going to use it as a springboard. And we're going to dive into what I really feel like I need to tell you today. So uh, just kind of buckle up. I will tell you I have a lot of, lot of scripture today. And I definitely have more notes than I have time. And uh, so give me grace and we'll figure it out together. Amen? Amen. All right. That sounded really reassuring. All right, here we go. The, the first question is this. Is if it is God's will to heal, then what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? You ever heard of that one? What about Paul's thorn in the flesh? I want you to know that's a, a fantastic question. And uh, for those of you who are here that maybe don't know where that question comes from, and Paul actually said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll go quickly here. It says, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. So listen, over the years, there's been loads of speculation concerning what uh, Paul's actual thorn in the flesh could have been. In fact, for over the past 20 years, I've heard Christians say that Paul's thorn was uh, some sort of eye disease, that it was malaria, maybe it was epilepsy for stomach issues. I even read one this week that cracked me up and said that Paul had club feet uh, or that he had a hunchback. And I've even heard people say that he suffered from an unruly and difficult wife. Okay, that that was Paul's thorn in the flesh. Now, so listen, what what people say is really neither here nor there. The the main thing I want to highlight here is this, is that how often this quote-unquote thorn in the flesh, um, basically that Paul mentioned, has been misused by so many Christians to justify their submitting to nearly any problem that comes along their way, specifically physical issues, okay? Now, the reality is, is for many years, God's people have been taught and believed that if God did not heal Paul, then what in the world would make you think he's going to heal you? Right? In other words, it's like, man, if you got some sickness or disease you're struggling with, uh, it should be viewed as your thorn in the flesh. And uh, basically, you're just going to have to learn how to deal with it because if God didn't heal Paul, guess what? Suck it up, buttercup, because he ain't going to heal you. Right? So, listen, on, uh, on surface level... That sounds believable, so believable that loads of people in the church have believed it. Uh, But I just think it's important that if you and I are going to be the type of Christian that actually studies to show ourselves approved, then we need to interpret Scripture correctly. And, uh, and when you begin to interpret scripture correctly, there's a thing called the law of first mention that you have to use. And what that simply means is that when we read the Bible, we find the first place that a, that a word or a, a subject or a phrase in this case is actually mentioned. And it sets the 
sets the precedence for the rest of the scripture. Anybody with me? So let's go back, and I actually want to show you the first time where, where theologians goes, yep, there's where the phrase is mentioned. So it's this in Numbers 33, 55. It'll give us context of what Paul is talking about. And actually, let me say this, kind of freebie here. Remember, Paul was an expert in the law. So when he used words, he knew what he was talking about. Okay? He just didn't throw stuff out there flippantly. So Numbers 33, 55 says this. It says, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them... Whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. And they, somebody say they. And they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. Some of the Israelites go in the promised land. Same words used again in Joshua 23. I'm going to give you three instances. It says this. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. But they, somebody say they, they. shall be a snare and a trap for you. A whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Last one, Judges 2. says, so now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. All right, so I bring up those three scriptures basically to show us this, is that in all three references where these thorns are mentioned, I want you to notice it had nothing to do with sickness or disease. Did you see that? In every one of the cases a thorn was used, it was referring to the difficult people that the Israelites were having to deal with. And I want you to know that actually when we fast forward to 2 Corinthians, we find the same thing goes for Paul. And here's why we know that. Because notice the very next words he says. Once again, if we read the Bible, let's read it in context. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 again. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Watch this. A messenger from Satan to torment and harass me. Notice he didn't say it was a sickness. He said it was a messenger. It was an entity, Right? So without getting all bogged down in a bunch of definitions, the word messenger in the Greek language means this, guys. It basically means a demonic angel was dispatched on a specific assignment to torment, to harass. We can say persecute, and the word actually means to repeatedly strike Paul again and again and again. So I want you to think about something. How do we think that this messenger of Satan actually accomplished this task? It's pretty simple. He did it by using and inciting people, right? People to come against Paul and to come against his message. If we can, let's go back to the verse. Let's read again, starting verse 8. It says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And I think that's where some confusion happens. Because when you read, like, say, the King James Version, New King James Version, it says infirmities. And most of us think infirmities has to do with sickness. But when you actually look up the word, it actually just simply means weakness or inadequacies. So he's saying, look, I'm inadequate to deal with this. So it says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses or my inadequacies so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness. Now, here's my opinion where I think the messenger shows up or how he shows up using people. It says this, And in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Now, I would like to remind you that when Paul actually got born again, I think it's Acts 9, uh, that God actually spoke to him and said, Look, I need to show you all the things that you will suffer for my name's sake. Y'all remember that? And then he says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. All right, so 
When we talk about all these things, these insults, hardships, persecution, troubles, let's not forget, once again, we've got to read the Bible in context, all the things that Paul talked about earlier in this same letter. He said this, that he faced calamities of every kind, that he was despised, that he was beaten, that he was stoned, that he was whipped on three different occasions, that he was shipwrecked three different times, he was put into prison, he was faced angry mobs, he faced death again and again, and on top of that, he even dealt with imposters in the church, Right? So how many of you know that those things just don't happen to everyone? Aren't you glad they don't happen to everyone? Yes. Now, why were they happening to him? Once again, because there was a messenger assigned. So the point I'm trying to make, and we'll move on, is that it's obvious that when we take a more thorough look of the Bible, uh, that Paul's thorn in the flesh wasn't some sickness, it wasn't some physical ailment, as some have assumed. Rather, it was difficult people, like the religious leaders, the false brethren in church, the pagans, right, who were motivated by the enemy to fiercely oppose, what, the advancement of the gospel by trying to consistently undermine and unravel Paul's message. Are y'all with me? So listen, so just do yourself a favor today, okay? Uh, because I'm sure there's some of us in here that have heard the opposite. And I'm just hoping today that if we would let revelation come, that any mistruths or misconceptions that we believe about Paul's thorn, it can be gone. In Jesus' name, right? Amen. Let's be Bible people. Amen? All right, let me give you another question, okay? Uh, question was this. If healing is for all, then how or when do people die? In other words, if every time somebody gets sick and they get healed, when, when do they go? <laughs> like, 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 when do they move on, right? Okay, it's a great question. All right, so to answer this, I simply want to remind everybody uh, that nowhere in the Bible, apart from the rapture, does God ever promise us that we will never die. Right? In fact, the Bible tells us the exact opposite. It says this Psalms 104. It says, you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Hebrews 9.27 says, and just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes the judgment. So gang, this simply means that obviously, unless a rapture happens in our lifetime, every single person in this room at some point is going to face a physical death. Right? And here's the key. There's no amount of healing prayer or faith that's going to stop that. Amen? Just trying to bring some balance here, okay? So, but with that being said, I think there's a significant truth that's hidden in that question that I want to just simply point out today. And it's this. Work with me here. I'm going to show you a verse. Exodus 23, 25. We've read it, and then we'll add on the next scripture. It says this. It says, I will, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Aren't y'all glad for that promise? Yes. Now watch the next promise that he says. He says, I will fulfill the number of your days. That's a great promise. I will fulfill the number of your days. Now, who is the one that obviously determines the number of our days? It's him, right? Look at Psalm 139 with me. David said this. He says, you saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I ever seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded or written in your book. So listen, I believe it's clear that through these two verses that God has already determined, that he's already allotted to each one of us a specific number of days for us to live, right? And it's his will for us to live out those days completely. Five of us believe that. Amen. <laughs> the rest of you, you can have that faith, okay? Because I don't want it, okay? All right, so in other words, listen, that you and I understand we have a sure promise from God that he will not shorten the days of our life even by one breath. 
right? That we will live our lives down to the very last minute that he has determined, okay? So the point that I want to make, once again, in balance and in context of what we've been talking about for the last few weeks is this, and hopefully this sentence makes sense, is that you and I need to understand that divine healing goes no further than the personal promise of God for our lives, right? And what I mean by that is this. If he says you got this amount of days left on this planet, if you get deathly sick before that day comes, then guess what? You can have full right to pray, have faith, believe, and expect God to heal your body. Amen? But guess what? When that time is up, it's up. You're gone, right? And there's nothing anyone that can do can stop you from passing this life to the next one. And that's where you and I got to understand God and eternity better than maybe what we do to understand that God actually functions and operates from an eternal perspective and not an earthly one. What I mean by that is heaven's not that bad of an option. Just saying. They may not have football there, but hey, okay? I'll let you know if they got fried chicken when I get there, okay? All right. Okay, let's shift gears here, okay? And, and I, just when I thought about that verse, once again, that's just answering some things that people have asked, okay? Um, I, there's something in there that I'm like, man, I need to address this. And, and really, I want to use this as a launching pad for today. Um, and it's this. If it's true that God has already determined the number of our days that each one of us would live, then is it possible for a person to die before their appointed time? This is significant. Is it possible for a person to die, I'm going to give you another word, prematurely, okay? So listen, if you're not sure, I want you to consider these verses. The Bible tells us this. I'm going to give you a rundown quick. I'm not going to read them. But the Bible tells us that Hezekiah prayed and God extended his life by 15 years, okay? The Bible also tells us that Elijah and Elisha at different times that they both raised a widow's son from the dead. The Bible also says in 2 Kings that there was a funeral going on, and while they're just paying their respect, the Moabite raiders came over the hill, and they actually took the body because they didn't want to join the dead guy, I guess, and they took him and they threw him into Elisha's grave, and when his body hit Elisha's bones, the guy came to life. Pretty good funeral, in my opinion. So, or even this, remember the time that Jesus went in there to Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, right? Raised her from the dead. Or remember the time that Jesus said, hold up on that funeral procession, actually stopped the pallbearers and said, let me pray for that guy. And he came back to life. Remember Jesus' buddy Lazarus, right? He was dead for three days. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. They lied about some money, uh, a price of money that uh, they charged for some land. And it, the Bible says that they died, right? And think about this. There's a young man named Eutychus who fell out of a window. Paul was preaching, talking about when preaching kills, right? Here you go. So, so he, was, he was in the window, and, and he got so bored, he fell asleep, and he hit the ground, and he died. Paul went down. I guess he felt bad. He's like, man, maybe not my best day. Anyway, so, and, and then he, he prayed for the guy, and the guy came back to life, right? Anyways, so listen, I don't know about you, but when I hear all those stories, my thought is this. Is would any of those ever happen, especially those who were risen from the dead, guess what, if it was impossible for people to leave this life early? I don't think so, right? And so I just think that um, obviously the Bible gives us some really clear examples there, okay? Let me give you some scriptural proof, though, to back this up. Because once again, if we can't point in the Bible, go home. Psalm 102 says, So I cried out to you, my God, Father of eternity, please don't let me die. I know my life is not yet finished. Ecclesiastes 7 puts it pretty plain. Why should you die before your time? I just think, why would the Bible even mention if it wasn't a possibility? All right? Okay, so I said all that to really get to this point, okay? Is that 
please, if you haven't heard anything, buckle up now. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk, um, yeah, just some good revelation. I hope it gets in you. And then we're going to try to apply some of it today. I'm not worried about if it makes us feel funny or weird. Uh, let's be Bible people. Okay? I hope the eight of you help everybody else later. Okay? Here we go. All right. So listen. Uh, obviously, with what we talked about so far, none of us in this room uh, actually know when anyone's going to die, including ourselves. Right? If you do, you're, you're a freak. Okay? All right. So, all right. Let me be nice. I'm just having fun. All right? So listen, if it's, if it's really possible that people, which includes our friends and our loved ones, can potentially die prematurely, then I think the knowledge of that should have a definite impact on how you and I, for lack of a better word, of what our attitude towards sickness, disease, and death should be. And here's what I mean by attitude. Y'all listen to me, especially if you've been in church for a while. I think that for a long time we've been taught to doubt. Okay, listen. And in my experience, more often than not, many Christians just have an attitude of acceptance. That's what I mean by attitude. We have an attitude of acceptance that we just accept things that happen to us in this life and we say it's God's sovereignty at work. And, and guess what? Yes, that includes health issues. Don't get uncomfortable, all right? So we think something like this. Well, God obviously allowed this, so maybe I should just embrace it. Yeah, it's, it's no fun. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, there's pain. Uh, but it's just part of life, so we might as well go ahead and just do the best we can with it. Anybody ever heard of that? Listen, as a country boy from Alabama, I can't tell you how many times I saw the attitude of acceptance growing up and how much I've seen it over the last 20 years to give my life to Jesus. That things literally happen in our lives, people just go, well, it is what it is, and we roll over and we just play dead. Let's look back for a moment, okay? The reason I brought things up earlier. Did Hezekiah just accept the fact that he was going to die? Listen, did the widows just accept, well... My only son, they're dead. No. Did, did Jairus, uh, Jairus, did he accept the fact that his daughter was sick and dying, and ultimately by the time he got there that she was dead? Did he say, Jesus, never mind, gone? Right? L listen, did Jesus accept that his friend Lazarus was gone? Did Paul accept the tragedy of Eutychus? The answer is no, guys. Right? Why is the answer no? It's because each time those guys called on prayer, called on God in prayer, why? Because they did not have an attitude of acceptance. Right? So many of us, something like that had happened. Oh my God, call somebody. We're, it's, let's everybody know. Don't get quiet on me. Right? And I just want to remind everybody this morning that everything that happens to us, so simple, but everything that happens in this life isn't necessarily from God. So maybe we shouldn't accept it as such. Come on, church. Amen? So listen, we need to remember that, yes, we live in a fallen world. That, yes, we have an adversary who wants to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. That, yes, he is actively prowling like a, like a roaring lion, as the Bible says, seeking whom he may devour. And, and so if we sit back, those things aren't like, oh, cute fairy tales. Like, that's real. There's a real devil who really hates us and really wants to kill us. In other words, let me put it in the, in the vernacular we're in. He wants to kill us prematurely. Why? Because we are a threat to his kingdom. Yeah? So listen, so common sense would just say this. I'm a very much common sense guy, but at the end of the day, listen, if everything that entered into our life, we were just meant to accept it automatically, then, then just let me ask you this. Then why did he tell us to pray? 
Can I take that step further? Listen, if everything that happens in our life, we're just supposed to accept it, then please tell me, and this is where we're going today, why God gave us authority then as believers. Why? Right? And, and I just think this, from a spiritual perspective, the words acceptance and authority do not go together. Amen? They don't. Truthfully, you and I have been given authority because the things in this life, because we aren't just supposed to accept the things in this life, right? In other words, we were given authority for the purpose of doing something about it. We, you and I were given authority to make a difference. We were given authority to bring about change. Great place to say amen. So I'm suggesting to you today, just kind of right here in the middle, that just maybe, just maybe that we might need to shift our attitude a bit when it comes to the things in this life, the things that we tend to accept. Maybe we need to shift our attitudes, and especially because of what we've been talking about with sickness, disease, and death, right? In fact, it is my simple prayer today that God would allow you and I to adopt Jesus' attitude towards sin, sickness, disease, and death. Have you ever thought about that? Like, do I view this the same way Jesus does? Listen, I believe Jesus' attitude is seen in these two verses. 1 John 3, 8. Love this verse. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he, in other words, why he came, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Not accept them, destroy them, right? Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by who? Oh, Slewfoot, the devil, right? Listen, both of those verses carry a connotation of what? Spiritual warfare. Yeah? But they also show us that what? Jesus clearly hates sin and sickness. Because why? Because both are a byproduct of the fall of man. And ultimately, it's why he came and he gave his life on the cross. Why? To defeat those two things. If you know that's true, say yes. yes. Let me take this step further, okay? I actually believe wholeheartedly that Jesus wouldn't have given us his authority if he didn't expect us to have his attitude towards sin and sickness. I don't know why this is coming to me, but I'll just say it as a silly analogy. Dad's in the room. If you can imagine, okay? I think my keys are over there. But, but, but you got a teenager, okay? And, and you can say, you know what? I'm going to let you borrow the car tonight, Okay? And basically, you give them the keys, and, uh, and you find out that they don't drive anything like you. <laughs> but, right, but the expectation is, when I'm giving you this, I'm trusting you with this, that you're actually going to drive the car like I would drive the car. Can I get an amen? Okay? And, and so all I'm saying is, is this. It's like, man, Jesus isn't going to entrust us with the keys to the kingdom if he doesn't expect us to have his heart. Okay? So listen, I personally like, and this is going to be a little bit dramatic for some of y'all, and it's all right, but I personally like what John G. Lake taught his people. He said this. He said, whatever we tolerate from the enemy will stay with us. Whatever we tolerate from the enemy will stay with us. Therefore, get mad at Satan about sickness and disease. Get aggressive towards sickness and disease. Get fed up with it. In Jesus' name, command the affliction to leave. Release the healing power of God to flow. Oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. No, no. But that's why he got results and we don't. Yeah? Because he understood who the enemy was. Yeah? All right. So let's settle in here and let's unpack this because I want to help us with something today, okay? Um, I actually want us to, to unpack this idea about authority. And I want to start by saying this. 
Jesus clearly told us in John 12, 49, that the things that he did and the things that he said, that he didn't do it on his own authority. So where did that authority come from? came from the Father, right? So the Father gave him, for lack of better words, he gave him delegated authority. That we understand in Philippians 2, that when Jesus came to this earth, he, the Bible says that literally he clothed himself with human flesh and he stripped himself. He, he laid aside his divine rights and everything he did on this earth, he did it as a man who was under authority and operated in delegated authority. That's important, Right? Why? Because if he did it as God, then we can be impressed, but if it's man, uh-oh, that challenges us. Let that sink deep, please. Right? So watch this. Because he was given delegated authority by the Father, allowed him to do this. Matthew 4. says, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and doing what? And healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. Now, here's where it gets cool. Perking up, help me out, okay? Here's where it gets really neat. While Jesus is actively ministering to the multitudes, we see him take this, this I, maybe not the best word, but the, but the first step to expand the scope of his ministry by delegating the authority he had been given to his 12 disciples. Okay, we see that in Luke 9. Watch this. It says, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them what? power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick see the words power and authority means this where power actually means in the Greek language it means miraculous power to work miracles that's pretty awesome amen Miraculous power to work miracles and authority means this. It means that he delegated influence and jurisdiction and power and right. What am I saying? It means he gave them authority over the spiritual atmosphere. Yeah? So you know what they did? They did exactly what he told them to do. They were empowered. They went and preached the gospel. They cast out demons and they healed the sick. The Bible tells us that. Either we believe the whole book or we don't believe any of it. Amen? So listen, after that, Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to take an additional step of expansion by using what? By giving my delegated authority to 70 more people. Luke 10. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Fast forward to verse 9. It says they did what? And they healed the sick there. And they said to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Actually, if you read it in context, they came back and said, the demons submitted to us and people got healed. And they celebrated. That's when Jesus said, don't celebrate about that. Celebrate the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay? All right. So, but my point is they did that. Okay? Now, here's something really interesting. When we begin to read the narrative of the Gospels, I hope you're with me today, we, we find out at this point that the 12 disciples came to Jesus one day. Jesus, Jesus, there's this guy out there that he's casting demons out in your name and he's doing miracles and he's not one of us. And Jesus, guess what? He didn't say, you know what, go get him. <laughs> he simply said this, if he is not against us, he's for us. And he blessed him. Okay? Now, why am I telling you that? I just want to pause here for a brief moment. If my math is correct, now listen, I know I'm from Podunk, Alabama, okay? But if my math is correct, then that means that in the gospel, there was 84 people in total who healed the sick during the lifetime of Jesus. Right? That it was Jesus plus 12 plus 70 plus 1. That's 84. All right? So, so I'm saying that for this purpose. 
So whatever you do, please don't ever believe the lie that the church has told a lot of us for years and years and years that only those 12 guys, which was really down to 11 after Judas, that those 11 guys were the only ones that ever worked miracles, and when they died, miracles ceased. Why? Because there were 71 others that prove otherwise. Amen? Amen. All right. So listen, I said all that to get to this point. I told you all that about 15 times today, but we're just walking the dog. Here we go. So watch this. This is where it's really neat. Okay, and this is where it involves you and me. I'm just giving you some Bible background here. Is that notice that after Jesus' death and resurrection, something really significant happened. And it was this. It says this in Matthew 28. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Why is that significant? Because before, he was just a man under delegated authority. Do we believe the Bible or not? Yeah, yeah, he was, he was God-man, right? He's 100% man, okay? So, so the point is, is after he died and he rose again, guess what? He took his rightful place back, right? And he took back all his divine rights, and now he's the one that has authority. And it's important because, because we need to see what Jesus actually decided to do with that authority, Watch what he did in Mark 16. It says, Later he appeared to the eleven, and they sat at the table. It says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. I'm going to pause here for a second. I have to say this. I'm amazed at how much every denomination believes that's for them. but they don't with the rest of the scripture. We either believe all that Jesus said, or we believe none of what Jesus said. I'm a simple fella. Okay? Let, let me ask you this, parents. Are, are you satisfied with your children obeying 50% of the time? That, that they... That... I don't know whose family that is. Okay, so... Um, but, but, but listen to me though, like for real, watch this. If, if you sat down with your child, I don't care if they're a toddler or if they're a teenager, right? And you said a full sentence to them and they said, okay, I'll believe three words of that and I'll obey three words of that, but I'm not going to do the rest. How well would that go over with you? Am I making sense? So listen, if it's in the red, we got to believe the red. Okay, that, that's old 70s Jesus stuff right there. Uh, so, so listen, we gotta, we got to take everything Jesus said and we got to believe it, right? So watch this. He said this. He said, and these signs will follow those who believe. Did he say these signs will follow just y'all 11 guys sitting here? He said these signs will follow the 70 or that one random dude that we still don't know his name. No, he said all who believe, right? Not those who doubt. Those who believe have the opportunity to walk in his delegated authority. That's good news. And he says this, in my name. How many of you guys know it's that name that gives us the authority? Yeah. Yes, it's in the name of Jesus. He says they will cast out demons. Y'all, demons are still real. They will speak with new tongues. Still happening. They will take up serpents. I don't suggest you pursue it. 
It says, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. But then there's this last part, man. We've got to have faith for it. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Okay, I've been pumping it for weeks. Okay, bottom line, if the plan of redemption is for sin and sickness, we've got to believe the whole thing. If we want forgiveness, man, we've got to believe in the power to help people. God still loves people, right? He still hates bondage. He hates oppression. He hates sickness. He hates sin. He hates disease. Let's function with him. Amen? Amen. So, listen, possibly the best illustration I've ever heard, and hopefully this helps concerning how this delegated authority works, is this. If you can imagine with me, there's a police officer who is directing traffic. And and obviously, in and of himself, we understand that that officer doesn't have the strength. He doesn't have the ability. We can even say power to actually stop traffic. Like, if you stand in front of a car going 40 miles an hour, you're not going to win, right? So, But the reality is, is watch, this officer doesn't have to direct traffic from his own strength or his own ability. Why? Because he's been given this thing called a badge, right? And what's amazing is once that badge is flashed, right, the rest of us know, guess what? That guy has all the power that he needs backing him up. Why? Because there's a greater authority called the government that's delegating it to him. And he's a representative, right? That all that officer, once again, all of his authority rests on the power behind that badge that he has been given, okay? So watch this. The great news for you and I is simply this, is that we don't, may not have a badge that says super Christian. Please don't go buy me one of those. Okay? That, that, listen, if we have a badge that says super Christian on it, man, listen, but, but thankfully we have the name that's above every name. Right? The name of Jesus, the one who has all authority, and that he is now the one that's backing us up with all of heaven. Right? So when we say the name of Jesus, guess what? The devil's got to respond. Right? So literally, if understand this, and the reason I'm saying this, because when you and I, if it's be witnessing or if we lay hands upon somebody to pray for them, guys, we're not doing it in our own ability. Our ability does not get the job done. It's the name of Jesus that changes everything. He's the one that defeated Satan on the cross, right? Therefore, Satan has to recognize his name. He is defeated foe to understand that Jesus' victory is our victory. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's why the Bible says this. Let me give you two verses. I told you I was going to give you a lot of Bible today. It says in 1 John 4, 4, it says, You are of God, little children, and you've overcome them, because he who is in you is greater, not equal, not less than. He is greater than he who is in the world. That's Satan. Do we still believe that today? Look at John 14. Let this get in you and let it build your faith. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus talking, he who believes, not he who doubts, but he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, the badge, hallelujah, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So listen, gang, with all that said, okay, is I just want to ask you today, is like, once again, like, what good is your authority if you don't use it? Like, like, what good is it if we have a house, but we don't sleep in it? Like, have any of y'all ever bought a house and said, you know, I'm going to sleep in the driveway, the door yard, <laughs> Right? No, like what's the purpose of having a car if you don't drive it? What's the purpose of having some money in your pocket if you don't use it, right? But, but it's like this, God's given us all these things, but we, we don't use it. Right? 
What if it don't work? What if it does work? Just let me ask you here today, like, once again, what good is our authority if we just keep having an attitude of acceptance? Are y'all hearing me? Let me give you two testimonies really quick. And I'm just, these are in-house testimonies. I could read loads to you. But um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you one. I, I, I'm going to tell you another one. All right. <laughs> Inner dialogue happening. All right. Just because this is so cool, okay? Um, I read this story about this, uh, this lady that was just basically a, a housewife. Um, she has spent years. Uh, she basically was broken by life, and she got right with Jesus after much um, dealing with much condemnation and guilt, thinking that God couldn't forgive her. And she finally... Uh, realized that Jesus still loved her. He forgave her, and she got right with Jesus. And immediately, God began to speak to her, began to use her. And she ended up on this ministry trip to Brazil. And uh, while she was in Brazil, she actually prayed for this kid uh, that was um, Down syndrome. And this kid, I I, I keep saying kid, I, I think he's probably more of like a young man, had never spoke and uh, basically had the whole look of a Down syndrome child and, uh, and all of that. She simply laid hands and prayed on him, believing what we've been talking about today. And she said that she watched, and there was thousands of people there that saw it, that basically it was almost like a mask being ripped, that the, the Down syndrome look totally left, and they begin to speak normal as if they never had been speaking their whole life. That's God, y'all. Yeah. So listen, listen, please. See, here's our problem. Can I shoot straight with y'all? Is, is we pray and we go, God, will you please show up? And then when you, he shows up, we expect him to sit on the back pew and behave himself. Because why? Because we want to be safe. Okay? And, and, if, and I'm going to get the line wrong here, but if you go back to uh, my man C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, he said what? Basically, he is this, but he is not safe. God is, listen, God has this idea that he's still in charge of the church. Can y'all believe the audacity that he has? <laughs> that it's not you and it's not me, but it's him. But we keep trying to put him in this little religious box. Behave yourself, Johnny. Can we please quit doing that? Yeah? Let me give you two things here. I'm going to give you about, basically, about two people that just said, you know what, I'm not going to accept this. Are y'all okay? Because yeah. I'm doing fine. All right, here we go. Uh, we got this little girl in our church. I think she's about 12 years old now. Uh, basically, last year, all last year, she kept uh, having fever spike, okay? And so she would go a few weeks, and her fever would spike, and she'd miss some days of school, uh, she'd go fever spike, and she would be out for days. Anyway, so I'm going to read a testimony from her mom, just because I want to show you that, that what we're talking about here, we're not crazy, okay? It says this. It, this is from the doctor. This is what they gave the school. It says, Elizabeth has been reoccurring sore throat, a reoccurring sore throat and fever that is cyclical every two to three weeks. We feel that she may have PFAPA, whatever that is, a recurring inflammation condition that mimics strep, but it's not contagious. 
and then it just says this is letter to uh, repeated days of school, uh, missing school, which is due to COVID restriction, da 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 da. We're sending, and this says we are sending her to an infectious disease specialist to confirm this diagnosis. In the meantime, she will likely miss more school as she has these bouts. Please call with any questions or concern. Let me show you what mama sent me. You got to love a praying mama. Send me some pictures of her daughter in the hospital and then pictures of her daughter getting prayed for right here. It says this, Elizabeth has been fighting frequent high fevers, loss of appetite, lethargic, losing weight, and landed at the doctor every uh, few weeks. It kept happening for uh, over and over again. She was treated for something it wasn't. She was given antibiotics every visit until basically the mom stepped in and demanded answers. They did extensive blood testing and found no reason why she was having problems. The fevers persisted and was lasting longer, and fevers were getting higher. The local doctor admitted she didn't know what it was and set an appointment for her to see the state infectionist disease specialist. says, we know uh, the ultimate healer. We've been given instruction to be healed from the word of God, but we hadn't done it yet. In other words, they didn't obey the scripture we're about to read. So she said in obedience to James 5, 14, 15, where it says, As any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Elizabeth was brought down to the elders and prayed for. She hasn't been bothered with a fever since. Then... Then she said a little bit extra. She said, after being prayed for, we kept the infectious disease appointment and took the opportunity to tell the specialist that Elizabeth had been prayed for. Her response was, whatever helps. She labeled it as disease, instructed us to take fever records, didn't give any medications, and scheduled for a follow-up. Says, after months of no fever, we can't wait to go to the follow-up appointment and tell her again the long-term effects of prayer. He is who he says he is. Now, I like this last part, because here's the, the lack of an attitude of acceptance. She was missing a lot of school, and I was missing a lot of work. Nobody has time for that. There you go. All right. You all right? Let me give you this one. Um, so basically, it said, I got an email with a bunch of things, and it says, just a bit of a testimony last week. My blood pressure spiked after I drank a double shot latte. In parentheses, I love this because this person's in the room. Here we go. So I should know better based on my past blood pressure issues. Isn't that, man, don't we all do that? This said, my vision blurred and my head was splitting. I asked the boys to pray for me, and uh, Solomon put his hand on my head. Uh, How old is Solomon? Four. Four. Here we go. Four years old put his hand on my head and prayed for healing and my pain melted away instantly and completely. He was pretty excited. So, all right. So let me just say this, okay? I know we've been praying for folks for weeks and we're going to do it again. Um, but if you're here today, instead of asking this, God, why me? Like, why am I the one that has this issue? You ever ask the Lord that? How about asking this, God, why not me for healing? Like, instead of asking, why won't God heal me, how about asking ourselves, why wouldn't God heal me? See, th- there's this truth here. Let me just share these verses with you. Y'all, please don't get, un- get like, unsettled right now. Hang in with me, okay? 
Listen, when we pray for the sick, God said this in Jeremiah 1.12. He said, I am actively watching over my word to fulfill it. That means he is actually backing up his word. With what? He's standing behind it with infinite power. Okay? Psalm 107 says he sent his word and he healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And, and what you understand there, guys, this is that literally every promise of God, in every promise of God, there's an indwelling of the power of God equal to produce the promise. Makes sense. That when it's believed and it's acted upon. In other words, it doesn't matter if it's salvation, provision, protection, deliverance, healing. Listen, it has the ability to do what it says it would do. Amen? So, so I just think this. I want to encourage you. And, and instead of sitting here today and go this, when people stand up in a minute and want prayer and say, um, you know, God, uh, I wish you would use me. Why not ask you, God, why wouldn't you use me? Are, are y'all with me? Okay. And listen, I, I think this, and this is my mindset at least. This week I was reminded, let me say it that way. I was reminded of when I was a young gun in the faith and truthfully saw more results than I'm seeing now in my life. And, and understanding that uh, when I actually laid hands on people and seeing miracles happen, it was because I realized the attitude that I had. That I, I remember going one time, I'll give you the story. I, I remember uh, going into a hospital room, a little, um, basically a little young kid. I don't know, he may have been like two years old. And, and he had a tube coming out of his stomach. And uh, man, he, I mean, it was like a big old thick tube. He was boogered up. I mean, it was bad. And uh, it was at Duke Hospital in North Carolina. And I went in there, and there was this revelation that I had, simply that when I lay hands on this kid, Jesus is wall-to-wall living in me. Yeah? And so when I lay hands on this kid, he lays hands on this kid. And guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to move, and he's going to do something. He's going to move as if Jesus was the one sitting here doing it. And you know what? The kid got healed. Right? That was the same time when I went to pray for that kid that had the broken collarbone. Pray for him. God healed him. Right? Listen, if we actually believe the word, it doesn't say, man, signs will follow those who have a title. Signs will follow those who have been recognized as special. It says signs will follow those who believe. Can we believe today? Amen? Can you stand to your feet, please? So listen, I'm, just so you guys know, I've, I've been doing this intentionally. And I know if you're visiting with us today, this is weird. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend anybody or make you feel weird. But I think for far too long, people in the church have waited for a person instead of realizing that they are the person. In other words, that I think the days are over that God's trying to say, here's the centerpiece guy that God wants to use. Let's make him famous, right? I think God just wants to use his people, okay? And, And so... So what I want us to do today, I'm not going to pray for anybody. I want you to pray for one another. But I want you to believe that Jesus is actually going to move through you. That the anointed one who is Jesus Christ dwells within you. And I'm telling y'all, he wants to get out. He wants to move. Amen. Okay, let me help some of y'all here, okay? I don't know what to pray. Do y'all think a four-year-old son has his theology down? That's why I read that story. Four years old. I promise you he didn't pray some articulate prayer.
Jesus heal mommy. When I read the Gospels, I don't see Jesus praying no hour-long prayer to get somebody healed. Come out. <laughs> yeah? So, if you can, um, whatever your posture is, if it's just closing your eyes, if it's lifting your hands, let's just take a posture of uh, just settling down before the Lord. Can we do that really quick? Father, we love you. And Father, we're people who just simply believe your word. God, we believe that you dwell within us. And God, we believe that when you actually said that the same way that the Father sent you, God, you've sent us. And the same power that you were given, God, we've been given, God, to do the work, to do the ministry. So, Father, we just simply ask today that the anointing would increase. Father, we thank you for your presence. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are watching over your word and you are ready to perform it. Thank you, God, that you don't let your word be proved wrong. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. And Lord, we choose to believe. God, we choose to believe, God, even if we can't see it in this moment, God, we believe that that is our reality, that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus, that we are made whole, that healing comes when you come. So Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that you are with us and you are for us. Thank you that you are not against us. Thank you that you have not put something bad on us. But Lord, we thank you for freedom in our lives. We thank you for freedom from sickness. We thank you for freedom from um, bondage. We thank you for freedom from sin. That God, we have freedom for the sake of freedom. That God, you've sent your son to set us free. So Lord, we walk in that. And Lord, from this moment on, we leave and we're free. Lord, we choose to believe that. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness and your love. Lord, I, th I just pray that you would bless every person that's in this room. That God, even as we go forward, Lord, we're not leaving your presence here at church. Lord, I pray for um, unexpected encounters with you this week for every single person. Lord, I thank you for divine opportunities and divine moments with you and with other people. And Lord, we just bless them and thank you for getting every one of us home or on to our next thing safely. And Lord, we just pray that we would continue to carry your presence with us because we are your, your people. So Lord, I bless your people and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.